1: Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: I will be sixty-seven years old in March 2023, and have hunted in my early days, and fished all my life. I spent countless all-nighters on a sandbar catching catfish before the sun came up in my twenties-forties in a tree stand with my bow, then migrated to my point forty four magnum hand cannon for white Whitehill. I was never happy hunting until I reached the deepest, darkest dungeons of the forest, or timber I was in. When I moved to Michigan from Iowa after my wife passed, it was like a treasure trove of outdoor activity. I met and remarried my now wife in 2004. We live on the east side of Lake Michigan toward the tip of the thumb. Lately, I fish very little and stopped hunting because of the intense pressure and my age. Just not fun anymore. But I continued a competitive shoot. After moving to Michigan, I started hearing stories about the Michigan dogman. I just blew it off. About five years ago, there was a sighting by a man named Joe Barger, a semi-truck driver that was hauling a load in the up. He stated that this creature tried to crawl into his moving truck. He stated that he shot this creature in the head and watched it fall to the ground as the truck sped away. about three? Four months ago, I read a local story about a dogman sighting just north of us in a small town named Port Hope. We live on a 4.5 acreage with a very high banked creek that flows behind the old farmhouse. We have chickens, goats, pigs, two cows, and barn cats, and dogs. I believe it was early October, 2022. I was out in the back by the creek when I heard what I thought was a faint growl. I didn't think much of it until I got back inside and I asked which one of our dogs is outside. My youngest replied, They are all in the house and no dogs were out. My wife looked at me and asked, Why, what is wrong? She asked if I was okay. She said the color simply drained right out of my face. She was concerned because she knows that there is very little that scares me. I told her I was out back and I thought that I heard one of the dogs growling. She said they had been inside before you went outside. I grabbed my point 44 and a flashlight and went out back. I didn't hear or see anything. I cautiously went out back again the next night to just look around. And I heard the growl again. But this time it was a lot louder and it sounded like it was right behind me, like just feet away. I quickly turned around, pointing my point 44 in that direction. I saw nothing but the lower branches of the pine trees moving. There was no wind. I quickly moved back into the house. My wife looked at me again and simply said, What? My wife is from Michigan. I never met my father-in-law because he died of cancer in the early 80s. I told her what I experienced the last two nights in the color drain from her face. She stated, You can't be serious. I told her, Does it look like I'm joking? She walked over and sat in her chair and began telling me a story told to her by her dad about a deer camp many years ago. She said her dad told her of a time at deer camp when they saw a man with a face like a dog. She said that her dad never went hunting after that again. Anyway, when I go outside at night to feed the critters, I carry my point 44. We live on a flat farmland area of the thumb. The biggest thing that scares me is the creek. You can spit and hit the creek. It's that close. The scary part about the creek is it has high banks on both sides. Even a very tall creature could walk down the center of the creek for miles unseen in any direction because the sides are so high. You would never even see it. I wasn't sure if I needed to tell anyone this because I didn't actually see anything other than moving branches and heard that horrible growl, but what I experienced wasn't normal. But it was real. Around 5.30 a.m. I received a call about a hulking figure seen lurking about near the intersection of us two and 41. I arrived at the scene to discover that a female motorist had witnessed the creature crossing in front of her vehicle as she traveled along us two into town. Additionally, I talked with two hunters who had also seen the same creature. The first hunter stated that he was nearly run off the road by it, while the other told me directly that he had encountered it firsthand. The witnesses are all experienced hunters familiar with what they should be seeing out there in order to safely navigate their way through these woods, all during deer season. One witness specifically said that he has never seen anything like this before, but it definitely was not human. It was massive, black, or really dark brown. I could not tell what direction it was headed. It all happened so fast. I described the area near where I made contact with the witness as being very wet and overgrown with lots of thick underbrush. I also said that it's known to be an area where hunters have complained about encountering strange phenomena while out in the woods during hunting season. I stated that normally when I receive calls like this, they come from local townspeople who are also unfamiliar with the territory and making them easily identifiable and spotted by officers on patrol. I went on to say that these two specific eyewitnesses were definitely not locals, having spent most of their lives living in part of the Upper Peninsula. I said that my well over a decade of patrolling the area, I've never had to respond to something like this before, although it's no doubt harvested my interest in researching and hunting these reported creatures. I was in Friedrich Park, a large hilly bird preserve with meadows and forests, and miles of trails in San Antonio on the high meadow. I looked out into the high grass and saw huge blue-green eyes. The cat they were attached to was about the size of a very large German Shepherd. I thought interesting and ran. I made it to the part of the park that has stairs made of logs. The park has been the subject of several Eagle Scout projects, and there are vertical, raggedy ladders in the hillside. Past the climb up, log stairs go down into dense, dark, live oak forest at about a 70-degree angle in some places. You have to hang on trees to stay vertical on the path. In the forest, I heard nothing. I took the long loop through the back of the park, down through the wooded riverbed, and up through the stone sheep trails at the edge of the cliff. In a tunnel of trees I heard something and saw the mountain lion again. It was looking at me again in the long grass. It must have tracked me for miles. I ran as fast as I could over uneven limestone rock formations until I got back to a paved path. I met a couple with children and told them not to go up. Apparently you're not supposed to run from mountain lions. It was a Friday, June 9th, when my daughter Diane and I joined my father Dan for some woodcutting on road 4,661 southeast of Estacada, Oregon. The day started just like any other with my father focused on his task and Diane and I working nearby. It was around 4 p.m. when Diane suddenly turned to me, her nose wrinkled in disgust. "'Do you smell that?' she asked. I took a deep breath, and was immediately hit by a potent, unpleasant odor. It was like a foul cloud that had passed through the area, lingering for just a few seconds before disappearing with the wind. I glanced at my father, who was about fifty feet away, but he didn't seem to notice anything. The smell reminded me of something I would heard about from Henry Franzoni and Pam Barrett near Skookum Lake. They had reported a similar odor when they believed they might have been near a Bigfoot. Diane and I exchanged glances, but we didn't see anything unusual. With no further evidence we eventually dismissed the incident and continued with our work. However, little did we know that the strange encounter was far from over. Later that night, Around 1 a.m., the foul smell returned even stronger than before. It was nauseating, like something dead or manure. Diane and I woke up to the sound of fur needles falling on the truck, but our dogs didn't react at all. They remained still, as if they were unaware of the overpowering stench that filled the air. We were 18 miles away from Ripplebrook Ranger Station and 32 miles from Detroit, Oregon, It was unlikely that the smell was coming from any human activity or farm animals. We couldn't shake off the feeling that we might have experienced a close encounter with a Bigfoot, even if we hadn't seen anything. The next day, Diane and I shared our story with my father, who seemed skeptical but intrigued by the possibility. We couldn't help but wonder if we had stumbled upon one of the most elusive creatures in the Pacific Northwest. Although we never saw any physical evidence of a Bigfoot that day, the mysterious odor and the feeling of being watched remained etched in our mind. It became a story we would share with friends and family, a testament to the unexplained mysteries that can be found in the dense forests of Oregon. As the years passed, Diane and I continued to explore the woods, always keeping an eye out for any sign of the elusive creature. And every time we caught a whiff of that unforgettable stench, we were reminded of that fateful day when we might have been closer to a Bigfoot than we ever thought possible. Brooding menacingly atop a desolate hill, the old manor rose like a decrepit spectre overlooking the town. It was a monstrous relic of Victorian design, its once glorious façade now a grotesque portrait of abandonment and decay. The grandeur that once was now lay buried beneath layers of cracked peeling paint, revealing the skeleton of rotting weather beaten wood beneath. Its iron gates, gnarled with rust, hung askew, barely clinging to their hinges, serving as the silent sentinels to a once proud mansion now lost to time. The once meticulously manicured gardens had turned into a dense, twisted labyrinth of wild brambles and nettles, reflecting the chaotic decay that had consumed the manor. Each local tale was steeped in whispers of haunting, the manor's history saturated with echoes of crimson bloodshed and brutal death. I am Sergeant Luis Rodriguez. On an icy, fog-shrouded night, my squad of twenty men and I were summoned to this ghostly manor. Rumors of unexplained screams, disconcerting noises, and eerie flashes of light from the seemingly vacant property had filtered down to the precinct. As we navigated the winding, desolate path to the manor, a weighty silence smothered our convoy, the palpable tension fueling our trepidation and skepticism. Stepping over the threshold of the forsaken mansion, we were immediately sucked into anotherworldly maelstrom paranormal phenomena reigned supreme. Inanimate objects danced an eerie ballet, doors moaned on their hinges, opening and slamming shut, as if manipulated by spectral hands. A bone-chilling cold, far removed from any natural cause, permeated the air, wrapping around us like a spectral shroud. The epicenter of these unearthly occurrences was a nebulous figure that materialized intermittently its ethereal presence, casting a monstrous shadow over our sanity. The horrors escalated as we unraveled the grim tapestry of the manor's past. The heinous murder of a previous inhabitant, a chilling curse, and a legacy of ghostly hauntings formed a chilling pattern that made the blood in our veins run cold. Despite the escalating terror We steeled ourselves to face the malevolent spectre, hoping to break the curse and put an end to the infernal torment. However, the night had other plans. The real horror unfurled as my men began to disappear, their blood-curdling screams echoing through the cavernous, dilapidated halls. In the ensuing pandemonium I found myself barricaded in the damp, musty basement, a crypt of forgotten memories... Amid the relics of a bygone era, the skeletal figure lay in eternal rest next to an aged diary, silent testimonies to the manor's ghastly past. As the specter loomed over me, it seemed to recognize the skeleton and diary. Finally, I am free, it rasped in a voice that echoed the rustling of autumn leaves, and just like that it dissipated, leaving me alone in the silent abyss of the manor. Emerging from the house of horrors, I was greeted by the soft rays of dawn washing over the cursed estate. With the diary clutched tightly to my chest and a mind teetering on the brink of madness, I stumbled away from the manor. But the question gnawed at me. How could I explain this unholy night to my sergeant? The spectral figure, the lifted curse, the disappearance of my men. Who would dare believe this tale of horror? As the manor receded into the gloomy mist behind me, a shiver skittered down my spine, the memories of the night forever etched in my soul. I glanced at the diary nestled in my trembling hands. Its pages held secrets that had trapped a malevolent specter for decades. But it also held the power to exercise the horror to finally set it free, and it did. But at a cost, a cost I could never have fathomed, I drove away from the haunted manor, my mind still reeling from the encounter. As I retraced our path through the desolate landscape, I couldn't help but steal glances in the rearview mirror, half expecting the spectral figure to appear again, its nebulous form looming in the dawn light. But all that greeted my eyes was an eerie stillness, a stark contrast to the chaos that reigned merely hours ago. Arriving back at the precinct, The daunting task of reporting the night's events weighed heavily on me. The austere fluorescent, lit briefing room suddenly felt oppressive, closing in around me, trapping me within its cold, indifferent walls. I felt the skeptical gazes of my colleagues, saw the disbelief etched on the sergeant's face even before I began my recount. But I had to tell the truth. I owed it to my missing squad. As I walked them through the ghastly night, I felt their skepticism growing, disbelief evident in their faces. I could see it in their eyes, the silent judgments that I'd finally lost it, that the horrors we'd faced were just too much. But it didn't matter. They hadn't been there. They hadn't heard the screams, seen the terror, felt the chilling grip of the spectral figure, or the elation at its release. Leaving the briefing room, I felt a bone-deep exhaustion washing over me. The adrenaline was gone, replaced by an oppressive fatigue. But despite it all, I held on to a flicker of hope. Hope that the spectral figure was truly gone, that the manor would no longer echo with the screams of the damned, that my men hadn't died in vain. Hope that one day the horrors of that night would fade into just a terrible memory." Haunted by the night's horrors, I found myself standing at the precinct's window, staring out at the breaking dawn. The manor was a ghostly specter on the horizon, its dark history forever a part of me. But as the sunlight began to wash away the last vestiges of the night, I felt something else, a strange peace. Perhaps it was the freedom from fear, or the knowledge that we'd finally put an end to a century's. Old curse. Regardless, it was a feeling I clung to, a beacon in the storm of uncertainty and fear that still raged within me. In the end, I knew my life would never be the same again. I'd stared into the face of true horror and survived, forever marked by the darkness that lurked within that haunted manor. I also knew that I would carry the weight of my missing men and the scars of that night with me for the rest of my days. But in the heart of the storm, I'd found a resolve I didn't know I possessed. And with that resolve, I'd step into the dawn of a new day, forever changed. But still standing, still fighting, and never forgetting the horrors of the haunted manor. I moved in with my boyfriend a few months ago. We live in Atlanta. One night we were laying in bed and I heard a sound i never heard before. It sounded like a cougar mixed with a human scream. It's so hard to describe. I said, did you hear that? He said, no, leave it alone. At first, when I heard it, I thought it was a hurt animal and I was concerned and also just wanted to know what could possibly make that sound. It made the sound three times and stopped after my boyfriend told me to stop talking about it. The thing I can't wrap my head around is there are no woods nearby. Even if it was a cougar, how did it get in the middle of a major city without being reported or spotted? I actually lived in a haunted house for six years before and during high school. Turns out the lady who lived there before us was super weird and probably crazy, talking loudly to herself and claiming to see Indians in the backyard. My parents also found a sketchy circle of candles in the attic when we first moved in. My sister was sensitive to paranormal stuff, and was the first to notice anything. She would see two little boys staring at her in her room in the middle of the night, and a woman she guessed was their mother. There were apparently other spirits in the house, but she saw them the most. She had a lot of shit happen to her. I didn't see anything except for once when I got up late at night to go to the bathroom and there was a purple floating orb in front of my door. I went back to bed and decided I didn't need to pee after all. I would also feel them touch me late at night. I would be playing on the computer with headphones, and sometimes my parents would come in and tap my shoulder to let me know I was going to bed. Only sometimes I'd feel someone grab my shoulder and nothing would be in my room because everyone else was asleep. After a while, there started to be scratches on my shoulder and center of my back, where I can't reach. My sister actually reached out to Taps from the TV show Ghost Hunters, and they came out to investigate. That was super cool. I'm an environmental field tech. I always find interesting things in the woods mostly abandoned places, trash, cars, and animal bones. One time I was on a job in Texas. We were deep in the woods, following our GPS. My team lead, and I found piles and piles of beer cans. Almost little hills. We were almost tempted to start collecting them for cash, but it would have taken all day and a full team. That wasn't the weird part, though. As we moved past the beer can hills, We found a few little abandoned homemade shacks with wire fencing surrounding them.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: And the largest amount of dog kennels I've ever seen. Some of them wood, some of them metal crates, some stacked on top of each other. There was bloodstains on a few of the wooden ones, which made me sick to my stomach. We didn't find any carcasses or any live animals. It was very obvious that this was not a normal kennel or backyard breeder. As an animal lover and my previous job was working at a dog kennel, it gave me a horrible feeling. But apparently that's tame for what people find in my line of work. I've heard stories of people finding meth labs, traps to poppy fields, and even dead bodies in the marshes and wetlands that we survey. The husband was driving down South Carolina back roads, and he encountered something strange. He describes it as a large dog, that's all, black and cast no shadow with the red reflective eyes of a creature in headlight. It looked like it was a void, shaped like a canine, with the eyes. He avoided it and kept driving, but said he saw the eyes in his rear-view mirror for three miles, keeping pace with his car at sixty miles per hour. The only thing I can think of that's somewhat similar is the not near, but it's not close enough. I don't know. Just looking for some theories on what that was. A few years back, after a divorce, I ended up homeless and living in an RV caravan. For about a year... I was offered a job 3,000 miles away from my ex, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, so my two small dogs and I started driving west. In western New Mexico, outside Albuquerque, we stopped at a native casino and RV park for the night. It was a very nice park. The bathhouse was huge and meticulously clean, the sort of place where tourists weren't allowed to feel uncomfortable while camping next to miles of wilderness, desert in the middle of the reservation. I was just glad they didn't turn us out for being in a 40-year-old small RV. Other parks had. Turns out RV living is only okay if it's obviously a choice instead of a need. The next morning I checked outside my door before letting my two small dogs out. There are a lot of things that would be happy to snack on a toy poodle. Sure enough, a coyote was exploring the area. I'm used to East Coast coyotes that will take off as soon as they see you're a full-sized human. So I hopped out, left my pups locked up, and made sure I didn't make eye contact as I went towards the bathhouse. I nodded and greeted him politely as I went by. He was still there when I came out. I told him it would be appreciated if he gave us some space so my kids could come out for their bathroom breaks before we got back on the road. He huffed at me and started walking down the dirt road out into the bush. After a few steps, he turned and looked back at me, so I followed behind him by about 30 feet or so. Just for the record, following a coyote into the desert at dawn probably wasn't the wisest decision to make. I was very careful not to leave the dirt road. There was a natural clump of three boulders, about ten to twelve feet tall, within easy eyeshot of the casino. The coyote calmly walked around the rocks, and then from the other side, moving at the same casual pace, came on older native gentleman. His hair was in braids to his waist. He was wearing old jeans, blue gingham shirt, and a woven hat. He tipped his hat at me and kept walking east, out into the bush that was when a raven I hadn't seen started laughing at me from the top of the tallest boulder. The bird took off, flying east, and in the light of sunrise seemed to shift from black to white to orange to red in color. I wished them both a kind day, hoofed it back to the park, and broke camp in record time. Ravens and crows followed me for the entire time I lived on the west coast. Even when I would walk to work there were three that paced me every day. Now that I'm back on the East Coast, I kind of miss them. I was walking along a stream looking at the rocks in it when I saw this unusual bright red rock. I bent down to pick it up, but before I touched it, I realized it was bright red because it was covered in fresh blood. I looked around and discovered there was more blood all over the place, so I followed its trail and investigated. Long story short, there was a stick on the ground that was completely covered in blood on only one side. I imagine someone had used it to twist a makeshift tourniquet on their arm, but the stick fell off and they started bleeding profusely. As they walked, a large amount of blood was dripping right next to their tracks, presumably from an arm injury that was bleeding and dripping off their hand. Eventually they left a huge glob of blood on the ground near this mask and surgical glove both of which were completely covered. My guess is someone had been shot in the arm and was trying to stop themselves from bleeding to death. I notified the police, and two eventually came out to meet me and see. I showed them where it was, and the one officer pretty much immediately told me he'd be taping off the area and collecting evidence, and then he called someone to check with local hospitals to see if someone had come in with a bleed injury. I've also come across random clothing in the woods, like a single perfectly good shoe or a ripped belt or shirts. The only reason I can think of someone randomly just leaving a single shoe is if they were being dragged or carried into the woods or running from someone. I saw a patient that didn't exist. I don't know how this happened. I'm still perplexed by it five years later. I was starting out in practice as a health care provider in a private practice. Our practice had set up cameras to monitor front desk activity outside hallway for security and emergency reasons as we are in a large metro area with moderate to high crime rate. So utilizing a very well-known yellow booking software, some will know. I received an appointment request. The appointment request had no insurance listed, only a name. FOR THE SAKE OF Bob's I WON'T BE SAYING THE NAME, SEX, GENDER OF THE INDIVIDUAL. LET'S SAY IT'S J.D. FOR SHORT. THE APPOINTMENT IS NEVER CONFIRMED VIA PHONE, AND J.D. HAD AN INTERNATIONAL. Jade SHOWS UP, AND FOR THE MOST PART IT WAS A STANDARD VISIT, NORMAL WORKUP, ETC. THINK OF IT AS AN ANNUAL PHYSICAL, BUT WITHOUT ABNORMALITIES. I DID MY USUAL BANTER, WHAT DO YOU DO FOR WORK? "'Where are you from?' etc. they were pretty brunt short in. Answering, and again, given the location where the practice was, I was not taken aback. I will say, I was confused about the lack of accent this individual had. It seemed pretty standard for the area yet, where they claimed to be from. There were no distinctive markings or features other than the person's height, which was well above average for either sex.' I taller than average cis-male at birth, or cis-female at birth. The appointment ends. They pay in cash and make no follow-up. The standard don't call me, I'll call you. The day was pretty busy, so I wasn't able to do the note then and there. So at the end of the day I sat down to do my notes and noticed the J.D. was not in the note tally, meaning there was one patient missing from the total so I checked the system thinking that the F.D. might have forgotten since it's a cash note. These tend to not be as pressing to smaller practices as they do not need to submit this to insurance companies for reimbursement. The appointment was not there, so I decided to check the booking app to pull their info. The appointment was not there either, so I asked the front desk what happened, they said. They didn't know what who I was referring to, We had seen over fifty people collectively that day, so I let it slide. I did the note, but did not add any info other than the one told me by the patient, and I made note of the international number, but could not remember the code. Flash forward to two, three days later. I was still thinking about the situation, and remembered the cameras. I told the front desk to look at the video with me. I needed to know I wasn't crazy and to my astonishment there clear as day is the patient talking to me in the hallway and checking out in the FDA. With the F.D. writing the transaction on both the cash ledger and the digital ledger, needless to say all three of us were, and still are, confused, the F.D. did some snooping, as young people do, found no record of anything or anybody by what they thought was their name. We called the booking company, and nobody had even made an appointment for that day, at least under my profile. How did the appointment disappear from both out EHR and the booking software? I'm still rattling my brain over this. Any takers for explaining this? Is this a glitch? When I was 19, I lived in an apartment with my family that was, for lack of a better term, haunted. It wasn't the traditional haunting one might imagine with flickering lights or rattling chain. Instead, we had a shadowy entity that seemed to feed on our fear. My younger brother was the first to witness it. He described it as a pitch black cloud that flew in through his window, bringing with it an overwhelming sense of dread terrified. He watched as it whirled down the hallway and into my room. His protective instincts kicked in, and he bolted after it, desperate to protect me from whatever this thing was. Now you have to understand, by this point I had been receiving nightly visits from this entity. Every night it seemed to feed off my fear, growing stronger and more ominous. Despite the terror it induced, I was getting weary of being its nightly snack. The night my brother saw it, I had reached my breaking point. As it entered my room, I forced myself to face it head-on to confront this thing that had been tormenting me. It was a swirling mass of inky blackness, like a smoky static that seemed to absorb all light. It was darker than the darkest corners of the room, a void that seemed to pulsate with menace. I caught a glimpse of it, a momentary stare down between us, just as my brother burst into my room. From that night on I resolved to stand up to this entity. It was a haunting experience, one that I would never forget, but it also taught me a lesson about confronting my fears. I was around seven or eight years old when this happened. I was playing in my grandmother's backyard with my cousin, and he decided to go inside for a bathroom break. Of course, this happened while he was gone, so no one else that I know witnessed it. My grandmother had a huge swing set with a slide that was pretty high up, and I was about to go down the slide while I was waiting for my cousin to come back. But something caught my eye above the houses in front of my grandmother's house. It wasn't very high up in the sky, but it was probably about twenty or so feet above me. It was a ball coming my way can't say how big, but considering it was high off the ground, and I was still able to make out some details on it, it could have been the size of a tire, maybe, or a little smaller. I was just waiting for it to fall, but it just kept getting closer and rolling in midair. As it got closer to right above me, I was able to see what looked like threads hanging off of it, as if it was made of leather and ripped open a bit. It just kept rolling and never fell, just slowly rotating in the air while passing above me. I could only tell it was rolling in the air because of the opening and the threads hanging out of it were only on one side. I was able to watch it until I could no longer see it in the distance. I remember being so confused and thinking, what the hell is that? I was a little unsettled watching it, maybe because I had no idea what it could be and how it was just able to stay in the air. To this day, I still can't quite put my finger on what it could be that I saw, and came here to see if anyone has ever experienced anything similar, and knew what it was. This happened in Southern California, if that helps any. Thanks for reading, and I'd love to hear anyone's idea on what this object could be. Just. Last weekend, my mom and her husband went hiking at a dispersed camping site near Mount Evans and came across a guy with a shovel who claimed to be doing fire mitigation, except he was wearing a nice button-up shirt and nice jeans and white shoes. He kept telling them to go check out a trail that wasn't there, and he had a gun in the back of his waistband. Even weirder, he claimed to live at a cabin my mom had walked past at the site and his silver truck was there. But when he said he was going to go home, he walked past the cabin and truck down this road while my mom and her husband took off. I personally think they walked up on someone either hiding a body or hiding some evidence. He had a southern accent. I went hiking with my grandfather in the mountains of Colorado a few years ago. I saw what looked like garbage in the path down a slope. I said, Hey, I'm going to pick it up, Barb. I climbed down some rocks, and there I found a small shrine to a dead girl. There were pictures of her with her friends and painted rocks all over. I couldn't figure out who it was, but she looked to be in her early 20s in the pictures. And from what I could tell, still in college, my grandfather managed to climb down and said that she probably fell or something. That's common in Colorado where rock climbing is popular. Sometimes I think back and wish I'd never found that spot. It felt so depressing. Boyfriend at the time and I moved into a farmhouse. Soybeans in the field in front, corn surrounding the house. The nearest neighbor was a few hundred yards away, only one light on the road. The head of our bed was right under a window. We both just returned from a deployment from Afghanistan, and I hated how quiet it was out there on the farm. Boyfriend started mumbling something in his sleep, and I asked him. Huh? What are you saying? He leans up on his arm and peeks out the blinds. They're coming. They're getting closer. What the f? Eff- what are you talking about? He goes right to sleep without answering me. I'm laying there all wide-eyed and spooked. But bring myself to look out the window. I see a few sets of eyes looking back at me. My heart sinks to my stomach. Took a while to register that I was looking at coyotes. Sighed with relief, but couldn't fall asleep. That night I learned that my boyfriend was an avid sleep talker. We could have full conversations, and he couldn't recall anything the next morning. He said he had no clue that there were coyotes out there. I lost a lot of sleep those three years. I've never been one to believe in things like Bigfoot or other mysterious creatures lurking in the woods. That is, until I heard the story from my friend's encounter with Little Foot. It was the fall of 1992 when my friend was out fishing on Sandy River not far from where he lived off Coleman Road. He was kneeling on a rocky sandbar, tinkering with his fishing gear when he heard a noise in the trees just a few feet away. When he looked up, He was met with the sight of a short, hairy creature staring back at him. It was only about three and a half feet tall, covered in black, brown, shaggy fur with red eyes that seemed to bore right into his soul. My friend froze, unsure of what to do, but then the creature growled at him, and he knew it was time to run. He took off as fast as he could, never looking back. When he was at a safe distance, he turned back to see if the creature was following him, but it was gone. He made his way back home as quickly as he could, and told me and some of our other friends about what he had seen. Of course we didn't believe him at first, but the evidence he found at the scene was hard to ignore. When he was fishing he found the remains of a fish, most likely a steelhead that had been picked clean, with only the skeleton and head remaining on a rock. He also found the remains of a mallard duck, with all its feathers neatly ticked off and the head bitten off also on a nearby rock. It was all just too strange to be a coincidence. We didn't know what to make of it, but we couldn't deny that something unusual had happened to our friend that day. From that point on, we all became a little more cautious when spending time in the woods. We never knew what might be out there, watching us from the shadow. My name is Akita and I am the shaman of Chickasaw tribe. For weeks now I have been tormented by prophetic dreams, visions of a monstrous creature that brings death and destruction to my people. I knew I had to act or the nightmare would become a reality. With my tribe's blessing I embarked on a perilous journey to confront the beast and save my people. The creature was a shapeshifter, a malevolent spirit that could assume the forms of various animals, making it nearly impossible to predict its movements. I knew that my spiritual powers and knowledge of nature would be crucial in this battle. I traveled deep into the wilderness, following the trail of devastation left by the creature. Days turned into weeks as I tracked the shapeshifter, witnessing the carnage it left in its wake. I knew that time was running out, and I needed to act quickly if I wanted to save my tribe. One night as I rested under the stars I received a vision. I saw a clearing in the forest where I would confront the beast. With renewed determination I followed my vision, and soon found myself standing in the heart of the clearing. As I prepared for battle the creature revealed itself. It was a monstrous, ever-changing mass of fur and scales, a horrifying amalgamation of the animals it had consumed. It snarled and I felt the weight of its malevolent presence bearing down on me. Drawing upon the spirits of the earth and the wisdom of my ancestors, I used my powers to weaken the creature. I called upon the forces of nature to bind and immobilize it, trapping it within a circle of living vines. But the shapeshifter was more powerful than I had imagined. It struggled and roared, tearing through the vines and lunging toward me. As it charged, I desperately called upon the spirits once more, but it was too late. The shapeshifter overpowered me, sinking its teeth into my flesh. I fell to the ground, my strength fading as I watched the creature turn and race toward my tribe. In my final moments, I realized that the prophecy could not be averted. The nightmare I had fought so hard to prevent was unfolding before my very eyes. As darkness consumed me, I prayed for the souls of my people and hoped that one day another would rise to avenge us and put an end to the shapeshifter's reign of terror.